Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello, everyone. Dave. And Tori. Hi. <laughs> Hello, Internet. And we started week with Good Thing. Craig, what's your good thing? Uh, this week, my good thing is the boys. It's a thing. Go. Why are we so fast? Because we're on a strict time limit. Dave, what's your good thing? Whoa, 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 whoa. My good thing is... No, no, no. I need to talk about it. Okay. You, you, you had no, your chance and you... We'll, just, we'll have ten episodes, ten minutes to talk about chapter. Yeah. Okay. Um... The Boys is a series about sort of superheroes that go wrong, that go bad. What happens when people with powers actually misuse them? And I feel like it's a bit of a commentary on modern society as well. So it's a bit of that. Um, But it's actually really engaging and interesting. And the main characters are not superheroes. They're a group of people who uh, have to to react to superheroes. Um, I've read a number of stories in the past that have an alternate look at superheroes aside from what you see from comics where you can't necessarily respect the people in power. And this is just one of those stories that, that touch upon it. I don't know how accurate it is to the comic books. Um, very, very little accuracy to the comic books. Didn't uh, have a it, series like that, like Steelheart or something. Yes. I was going to say yeah, um, the, the show, the boys has more in common with the Reckoners books than with the comic books that they are officially based on. So it can be a little difficult to watch because of how serious and disturbing it occasionally gets, but it I think it's worth a watch. Okay, I'm done. All right, Dave, what's your good thing? My good thing this week is the YouTube channel CGP Gray, the stick figure glasses, man. Yeah. Talks about science and politics and just regular stuff and history and every all kinds of stuff. He's great. He's great. And I have to say... His thoughts on the different voting systems that actually exist. He was the one who pointed out that there's different ways to vote, guys. And this is from the U.S. I'm from the U.S. So, unfortunately, we're stuck with first past the post, and it sucks. But there's other places. I think Australia has the alternate vote. That's nice. So, shout-outs. A bunch of places have ranked choice voting, and from what I can tell, it's amazing. And I wish we had it here. Yeah. Um, All right, so my good thing this week is a movie that is, air quotes, based on a comic book, and air quotes, uh, Wanted, which is uh, James McAvoy, Angelina Jolie, Morgan Freeman. That was the bullet-curving one? Yeah. 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 It's it's The movie is a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. I watched it the other night because I happened to notice it was on one of the streaming services I have. I don't even remember. Um, I was like, yeah, I'll watch that. And then I thought, you know what? This is a pretty good movie. I understand that it's based on a comic book. I'm going to look that up. And the comic has nothing to do with anything in the movie. Like, it's they are entirely separate things that happen to have the same name. So, yeah. Wanted. Fun movie. Which, you've got to figure out which streaming service, though, because I, I, I've never seen it. Uh, I think Hulu. I think I was messing around on Hulu. At the Dang time. it, that's the one I don't have. But yeah, fun movie. If you haven't seen it, do so. Um, James McAvoy got, like, super ripped for it, and he spends a few scenes shirtless 
Well, and... now I'm even more motivated to watch it. <laughs> and Angelina Jolie is extremely attractive all the time. So so there's there's a little bit for everybody in there. Uh, all right, Tori, what's your good thing? Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Yeah. I know everyone who's gonna play it has already played it, and you don't need my review. But I only just got my Switch, you guys, and I've really been enjoying it. They added an RPG mode, which is completely unnecessary, and the story is like barely there. But it's enough for me, and I have put several hours into it. I am ashamed to admit that I spent all week playing that game instead of reading my chapters this week. So, um, yeah, it's great. It's fun. I love it. It's it's fabulous. I'm really bad at it because it's a fighting game, but I make up for it in enthusiasm. That's good. Um, is this RPG mode new? Because I haven't touched the game in like a year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in the corner where it you can play the spirit mode or you know, right, hunt, right. hunt down spirits and things there's an adventure button and when you click on that it takes you to this rpg um and so it, it's mostly you you use the rpg to unlock the various spirits that the game has um which are like equipment for your character in that they adjust your stats and they can make some attacks more powerful or some items more powerful or they make you immune to like lava floor and things like that. Um, there's thousands of spirits you can unlock, apparently. Um, at least hundreds, but there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. And uh, yeah, it's cute. Um, it's it's a little map. It's kind of like Super Mario Brothers 3 in that there's a little map with the nodes and you um, do the various stages to move across the nodes, except the stages are Smash Brothers fights. And uh, so, yeah, I'm playing it on heckin' easy mode because I'm a wimp, um, but I'm enjoying it. No, 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 no. You aren't a teenager. That's easy mode is made for grown-ups who have other stuff they have to do. <laughs> Yes, I love it. Mm, that's it. And and you should not feel at all bad for using it because you are a grown-up who has other stuff that you have yeah, to do. Yeah, I have other stuff to do and I have nothing to prove and I am playing this game to relax at the end of my long work day at my job. So there. All right, Dave, you read some interludes this week, right? Yeah, I read interludes one through four, bridging part one and part two of Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. Bridging? <laughs> Bridge fouring. Bridge fouring. <laughs> well, there's four interludes, and they bridge the parts. Hmm. I think that's the conspiracy theory. You want me to talk about them? Nah. Yes, please. Tori, <laughs> break, the, break the tie. I'd like you to talk about them, because as I said, I was playing video games, so I didn't read them. Alright, if Tori wants to talk about them. Alright, Interlude 1, Narak, Eshonai, Parshendshi Shardbearer. Apparently, the Parshendi are harvesting gem hearts. The listeners, the tower might have once been a real tower. Painting soldiers, war form and work form. What other forms might there be? Wink form. Dull form. <laughs> it's so wink form. <laughs> wink. Yes, I love it. <laughs> uh, dull form. Sounds like parchment. Nimble form. Hey, this sounds like a ripoff of the cast mechanic from Simant. Oh, slave form is parchment. Parshendi seem to be monogamous, except this one guy from Petticoat Junction. Humans are always in mate form. So Gavilar was going to summon the listener gods somehow... 
Benley and Demid. When are they gonna sing to the rhythm of war? Storm form. So that's how the evil weather machine works. Eshenai. So... Eh? seems really interested in Dalinar. Esh, esh, esh. So one of your bullet points should have been that humans are always in wing form, not may form. I don't want to confuse the listeners. All right. <laughs> <laughs> or do I? Not to be confused with the listeners. Capital L. I get no, what you're saying, not, Tori. They don't use a capital L when they say listeners. That's true, they don't. They also don't use a capital H for human. All right, so we get a perspective of the Parshendi shard bearer, a woman named Ashonai, or as that their race likes to be called, the listeners. And part of the way they communicate is through song and not not just that they have these different uh, rhythms they call them that they sing to as they talk but they also it also seems to be like their brain is a radio that picks up the frequencies of these songs yep which plays more of a part in interlude 4 but yeah so like they got they got radio heads dude the listeners are part radio. This, this is 100% accurate. Well, I mean, if they're based on Formian, and then they might have antenna, so they pick up radio signals with the antenna, I imagine. Sure. Uh, they also have different forms. It's kind of like how... I made a joke about Simant, but this is actually how real ants work. They have a caste system. Uh, although the, the listeners can actually change form, they're not just born with whatever cast they're given and then stuck with it for life. Uh, so far we know about war form, work form, mate form, dull form, and nimble form. And then if you want to count slave form, which is what the parchment are. And let's see, they're trying to discover new forms. Uh, Eshonai is doing this by having the soldiers paint crab shells. And her sister Venli is doing it through uh, blasphemous research. And she, you know, Eshenai seems to be trying to move her species forward. You know, she's trying to find some way to uh, ne not negotiate. What's the word? Like embassy, emissary form or something. Whereas uh, her sister Venli is just looking for a nuke form. So, yeah. Eshenai so is looking for the Missy form, and her sister Venli is looking for nuclear armaments form. Which, which is sort of funny, because Eshenai is the one wearing the, uh, what's it called, war form or whatever. But I think, I don't know if it's described, but Venli's wearing the nimble form, I think, if I recall. I know that her once mate is wearing nimble form, I think. So it's just sort of funny that their their approach is different than the form they wear. Oh, uh, yeah. Well... Maybe because being in war form, Eshenai is like, this isn't the way to go. And then being in like a more uh, agile and mental form, Finley's like, this isn't the way to go. So maybe the answer lies somewhere in between. We also get a little bit of uh, perspective on Gavilar's death here. So Eshenai was not uh, one of the main ruling council at the time, but she did have influence in the decision to assassinate King Gavilar. Apparently he was going to summon the Listener Gods, which is probably the Voidbringers or something. And... Mm -mm -mm, yeah. Eshenai also just really wants to 
wants to have a cup of tea with Dalinar and just talk uh, talk things over. And Ashenai is probably not Dalinar's wife, but her name starts with an Ash, and Dalinar's wife's name is Shishishishishish. That is exactly her name. Yes. That's it, folks. So this is the first look at the Parchendi culture. And what do you think? I guess we can wait was... for the rest of the interludes, but go on. Yeah, let's do that because we get another Asher and I interlude at yeah. the end. All right, uh, interlude two. Yum. Some old radiant makes shoes and dies. Any questions? Uh, yeah. Tell us more, Dave. Are they are they pretty good shoes? Well, the problem is that he was trying to custom fit shoes for these orphans, but they never come back to get their shoes, so we don't actually know if they're good shoes. And what kind of radiant is he? Uh. He like he's like a a white mage. He does kind of what Kaladin does, but to other people instead of to himself. But maybe Kaladin can actually heal other people. I don't know. Probably not. And how does, does he what die? Kaladin does as far as um as far as Kaladin being able to heal himself. How how does he die? Um, I think someone like finds out he's a radiant and assassinates him or something like that. I don't know. It's all very mysterious. It is. Next chapter sode? Uh, I guess if that's all you're going to tell us about this one. I mean, there's just some... There's a guy. He's obviously a Radiant. He has a little buddy spren. He heals people. He makes shoes, but that's just the front. He does really make the shoes. And <laughs> just the front. The shoes are the front. He, he them. No, the shoes are on the bottom. That's true, yes. And he wants to collect uh, stories from the from the children. Yeah, and he collects stories, but then he dies. He dies because some evil dude is like, nope. I didn't say the dude was evil. He's killing a guy helping orphans. I don't know, that's pretty evil to me. Machiavellian, perhaps. I wouldn't necessarily call it evil. Alright, interlude three. Risen. She named the grass Tvn. Risen has a parasol that doubles as an umbrella. Also known as an umbrella. All right, I'm going to break an aside here. All right, so technically a parasol is designed to block sunlight, and an umbrella is designed, by definition, to block rain and and or sunlight. So, like, an umbrella umbrella is, by definition, also a parasol. And if you go into the etymology of the words, uh, the for parasol, the prefix para... Well, in Greek, para normally means beside or next to. Uh, however, as an Italian root, apparently it means protection from. So parasol is protection from the sun, sol, right? Uh, whereas umbrella is derived from Latin, umbra, meaning shadow. So it's like a little shade. So parasol, protection from sun, umbrella, a little shade. So like the etymology of the words makes them mean almost the same thing. And an umbrella, by definition, already has the function of protecting you from the sun. So there's no need to say, this is a parasol that can double as an umbrella. Like, no, it's just an umbrella. Just call it an umbrella. So all parasols are also umbrellas. Are all umbrellas also parasols? No, no, no. no. Other way around. Other way around. All umbrellas are also parasols. Yes. Yes, because parasols uh, were often made of, like, decorative paper or very thin fabric, and so they they would just disintegrate in the rain. Yep. All right, well, today we learn. In Danish, umbrella is paraply, 
so probably protection against rain, says Himaja, who I think is Danish. All right, now that we've gotten that little umbrella saw dispute out of the way, <laughs> lion turtles. Shade against fingers, the sun? Blue fingers, deep blue eyes, void bringer shadow, improper pun. Oh boy, here we go. Talk, Ertalic, and the king. Oopsie doodle, Larkin. All right, so we pick up where we left off with the uh, eyebrow trader lady. Don't, don't bring blue fingers into this. I heard that bullet point. Yeah, it was a guy with blue fingers. Yeah, blue but fingers a is a boy bringer. Fingers. You didn't, didn't you catch that in in Warbreaker? Right. <laughs> uh, he's a Kalad's phantom. I'm to Kalad's phantom. All right, so Risen, if you will recall from book one, it was with uh, her her bops. Well, I forget his name. Whatever, this Willie. Did. Well, Willie was selling Suzette. Uh, no. <laughs> It's Vistim, or however you say that. Vistim. All right. Vistim, me, um. And he was, uh, now he's sick, and they're on these, like, moving island towns, which aren't really lion turtles, but kind of. They're, like, they're giant krell shell bells, and they move around, and these guys are pretty relaxed most of the time, but when the shell beasts move close to each other, then they're like, oh, it's time for war. Our our gods will it. That's why we're close together now. So anyway, they're trying to trade for something. Uh, then she has to go meet the king, who's a lady. The gender is irrelevant in their monarchy. They don't really have a need for king and queen to be separate titles. Uh, and on the way up the the mountain slash shell, she meets a an Amian who is some kind of like evil omen spirit dude. He's got blue fingers or blue fingernails, deep blue eyes. Probably had too much spice, and also a void bringer shadow, whatever that means. His uh, shadow points like, the wrong way. Uh, and, and we also met him song. back in Way of Kings. This is this is Axie's the collector. Ah, uh, okay. The way he was talking about puns, I thought it might have been Hoyd, but yeah, this makes sense too. I give it to you, man. This guy just turns up everywhere too. He's the one trying to see weird spren, right, Mike? Yeah. He is Wow Bagger the Infinitely Prolonged. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Mm, so the king's son Talik. Uh, long story short, short not short, but whatever. This story's worn just like a shirt. And, uh, <laughs> oh man. All right. So, this guy, long story short, was at one time, uh, Willie's apprentice as well. And this was supposed to be like, this was supposed to be training for Risen, you know, to give her kind of like a safe space where she thought there were real stakes and try to make this deal that had already been arranged years ago. He's like, just show yourself as bold, blah, blah. You know, it was all, it was all just a test, and her answer to the test was to tie herself to a rope and throw herself off a cliff. <laughs> As you do, I mean, yep. is and there a solution? And then the the shell beast uh, fights and snaps the rope, and then she falls a hundred stories into the water, breaks her legs. She wakes up, and there, <laughs> and Willie's like, "You passed the test. Oh boy." I feel dumb for not realizing you would do something dumb. 
And then also there's this thing called a Larkin, which is like, I guess it's kind of like a fairy in a bottle. It like protected her. It was granted to her by the Shell Beast, which is the island's god or something. And people pay like king's ransoms for dead Larkin corpses. And this was an alive one that was granted to her by the island god. And hooray. Wait, why are we hooraying? Because she, cause she got a Larkin. Yay. She got a Larkin, and she will trade again. Well, the the significance is that the the Larkin means that Risen will presumably be a successful trader with all of the Reshi tribes, not just the one where Willie had the connection. Okay. Also, she might not walk again, but she will trade again. Okay. All right, chapter ID4. Last region. Storm Sprint. Hey, baby, want to kill all humans? Listeners capture Spren to choose what form to take. So, basically, they use crystals to change jobs? Is this a Final (laughs) Fantasy game? Oh my god, yes. Dull form look much like Parshman, but slightly taller. I feel like this detail will be important someday soon. Wow, this mother scene is extraordinarily depressing. The last legion abandoned thought, or the last legion abandoned thought and power in exchange for freedom. Big sister taking all the credit. All right, so we go back to Eshonai, and she's with some of her like some of her troops, and she tells them about the storm sprint and the possible storm form that they're trying to discover. And they're like, "Will it help us kill all humans?" Uh. And then Eshenai wants to take one more stop before the big vote. She's on the, the Council of Five, which make the final decisions. They're like the decision people. And they have a meeting that's like after after three rounds of Rhythm of Peace or something, then it's like time for the meeting. And, you know, like I said, everyone's got radios in their head. So there's no excuse to be late, right? You just have to turn the knob until you get to... Rhythm of Peace. And then, so she wants to go visit her mother before going to the meeting, maybe to get a little bit of insight. And, um, yeah, her mom is, I would best describe it as either Alzheimer's or this world's version of Alzheimer's. Like, she's, she, she's mentioned as having, like, one of the sharpest memories, you know, in her youth and, uh, a couple of things like she doesn't know that she lives in the house that she's in and she thinks that Eshenai is her sister sometimes. And she's like, well, Eshenai went off to to go to her first storm transformation and like which obviously isn't so because we know Eshenai has been through many transformations. And yeah, it's just it's just really sad. I mean, if you I, I've known somebody with Alzheimer's uh wife of a good friend of mine i mean they're older than me but it's uh it's a really sobering disease uh in in the real world that isn't being taken lightly here but is kind of being explored in this character eshenai's mother uh so she gets uh eshenai gets her mother to sing this old storytelling song about how the old listeners abandoned the ancient forms and abandoned their tie with the gods and defied them. And basically, when they did that, they were only able to take on dull form and mate form, and then over time eventually started rediscovering other forms like 
war form, nimble form. And she's, uh, she's late to the meeting. And nobody gives her any excuse for being late to the meeting. Like, all you had to do is turn the radio. You'd get to the meeting on time. What are you doing, Esh and I? But they don't spend a lot of time on that. They go ahead and uh, Esh and I doesn't want to be tampering with ancient forms or kind of. She's like the Dalinar of the listeners, I guess. Like, I don't know. Maybe not. She, Anyways, so she makes a deal. She's like, okay, we can explore this new storm form, but but don't let Venli do it because Venli is too important as a scholar. I'm just a I'm just a soldier. I'm replaceable, so let me do it. And of course, Venli's not happy about this. Venli wants the glory of being the first to experience the new form uh, because she discovered it. And you know, like ah, oh, this is just like when we were kids and you had to go off and be an explorer and be the first one to explore. Blah blah blah. And then you know, they kind of have a little fight over it, but uh, the decision is made. The Council of Five have ruled that they're in complete accord that they will move forward with the new storm form and Esh and I will be the test hamster. And that's it for the interludes. All right. Now my earlier question, what do you think that we, now that we got a perspective on the first ending? There's like bugs. They like Zerg. I mean, there are a lot of, similarities between them and ants specifically like they've got the they've got the antenna the metaphorical antenna i should say and then the the cast system but really interesting though is that they can change their cast by uh capturing spren in these little gemstones and going out in the high storms to transform in they mostly have control over what form they're going to take when they go out into the storm like sometimes there's some goof ups uh they didn't initially know how to do it they figured out like oh if we bring these spren then we'll get if we bring x spren then we'll get y form when we go into the storm so yeah they're developing as a society on you know what forms to take and yeah one of the things from interlude one was that uh, esh and i does mention that the listeners are collecting gem hearts so whether that says something about the great bell's being the same species or not, I don't know. But as for my older theory, I don't know if that affects it or not. But they are actually harvesting these gem hearts, apparently. So one of the big things is that um, people looking into modern fantasy stories, as in currently new ones that are being written, most authors don't tend to make their own different races. Like fantasy authors have a standard stockpile thanks to like Tolkien and right where you get, you know, you have humans, elves, orcs, like it's, it's fairly typical thing. Brandon is one of those who's coming up with a completely new race as part of his world build, just sort of like, Hey, this is, this is what fantasy writers used to do. And they sort of stopped because we have these, the standard stockpile of races. I wouldn't call the Parshendi completely original. They're not completely original, but they are, they do have, you can tell that there's a lot there. There's a lot of depth that we don't necessarily read about, but makes up their culture. It, it really it reminds me of the Formians from Dungeons and Dragons, which itself is probably based on something else, right? Yeah. But yeah, so the like Formians from Galaxy different... Quest, obviously. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they've got, uh, but they've got. They're like kind. Of, I mean, Formian also is not a Dungeons and Dragons specific word. But like Yonti or Beholder. But uh, <laughs> anyway, they're they're kind of like bugs. They 
have sort of a hive mind. Honestly, back when they used to follow the gods, maybe they did. That was kind of like their queen, right? Directing the hive mind. Now they, now they're kind of like disconnected Borg. Wow. <laughs> How many different references <laughs> can we throw in this episode? Um, but yeah, so they're like have sort of a hive mind and they have different forms. The, now, like I think again, the big thing that sets apart the listeners is that they can change forms, but that's that's a storm magic for you. So it's it's not quite a hive mind so much as they have they have hive emotions, I guess we can say, because it's like they attune to certain rhythms which is sort of how they're feeling, but their thoughts are still their own, and, and what they speak is their own. They can't share Right, that. they are now, but maybe they are now, the right. ancient listeners... I'm specifically talking a lot about more. Listener. Yeah, maybe the ancient uh, listeners were a lot more like Formians. So, so just to help you, the ancient listeners, as you put it, are called singers. Okay. So World their singers. overall race is singers. Listeners are the ones don't follow the gods. Yeah, uh, we also have some listeners changing to dull form because they think that humans won't attack them when they invade. So they change changing the dull form. Uh, and then also, I didn't mention this, that the Council of Five, there's one of each form. There's a mate form, a dull form, a war form, that's Eshenai, a nimble form, and a worker form. So anything else for Dave? No, I think so. Nope. Uh, Dave, anything uh, else for us? No, I don't have anything for me. Okay, go away, Dave. All right, bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. Hi. Bye, Dave. Dave's gone, play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Okay, what do we have to say about these chapters? Well, uh... The thing I posted in our Discord here um, is that Yim, or however you say his name, he was a truth watcher. Like, he was he was on his way to becoming a truth watcher, be the healing and everything. And that's specifically the Sprin that he's bonding with at that chapter. Windle did, Windle being uh, Lyft's Sprin, did think about bonding with him originally. But, of course, different things happen. And we have Nail, who's the dark-skinned, crescent-scarred man come and kill him, because at this point, the Skybreakers are like, try to stop the Night Radiance from popping up, so let's just kill them as they start popping up. So misguided. And I wonder who put that idea in Nail's head as a good thing to do. It's the thing they've been doing for, like, 2,000 years, so... Well, not just that, but specifically Ishar is the one who gave him the idea that you do this. Yes, um, Nail... Uh, finds something in um in his target's past, whether recent or distant. Uh, that is a time that they broke the law. Um, gets clearance from the local government to hunt this person down and um execute them essentially. Although I think the the paperwork only lists that as one of many possibilities because uh, apparently like. Everybody knows about the Skybreakers except any of our characters that we actually follow. Yeah, that's that's weird to me. Like, they are a Knight's Radiant, but I think because they didn't partake in the Recreants, they are afforded a sort of respect. But, like, everybody knows about them except except anybody that we actually spend time with. 
It is weird. I I I would ask Brandon about this if I saw him in person. It seems like there's a bit of a disconnect here. Like, why doesn't Dalinar or Navani or Yasna or I mean, I get yeah, I, I get why Shallan wouldn't at least Fractal not. At Doggo this point. points out that they seem to be well known in the West, not really in the Voran Um We also have Risen's chapter where, if those of you who have read Dawn Shard or just are familiar with Risen's other interlude, it's Oathbringer. Uh, this is, the Larkin is named Cheery Cheery, where she gets it, and also where she becomes paralyzed. It's a little flying dragon guy that gets bigger and eats Stormlight. Yes. Okay. That's that's all I personally had. What about you guys? Yeah, the Eshenai stuff is just the plot of the book moving forward, so not a whole lot there. I agree that the chapter about her mom is very sad. Yeah. So I suggest that we maybe talk about Dawnshard first, because I know we have some listeners here who don't want to, who aren't reading the Rhythm of War preview chapters, but there's a chance they would have read Dawnshard. Yeah, that sounds good, because Dawnshard is officially released, and Rhythm of War is not yet for another week. And by week, I mean three days. I can't believe Ooh. it, guys. We're, we're almost there. I'm excited. Uh, so I'm going to reread um, part one once we get Rhythm of War, even though I've been following the preview chapters. Yeah, because we've been doing it over the course of 19 weeks, essentially. So I'm sure I forgot some things, but I don't know. I don't necessarily have the time anymore to do that. Uh, less than that. The first couple were multiple chapters at a time. Good point. All right, well, let's talk about Dawn Shard. Yes, let's. Uh, so we start out with everyone's favorite character, Yalb, who survived. Yay, Yalb. And then we never see him again. <laughs> but he survived, which is the important part. He might be dead again. We don't know. He could have been killed off screen by something that had nothing to do with Don Shard. No, look, we and, learned and, from Dave. No one dies off screen in this story. And Brandon is just toying with our emotions. Hey, Mike, no body, no crime. And I learned that from Psych. Just, yep, Yalb. He brought back Yalb. Just to toy with me specifically. Yep. Um, yeah. So Yalb's back, and then Yalb's gone. And then who's our next point of view character in the next section? Do we do we immediately cut to Risen? I don't remember the breakdown. I mean, yeah, I don't have a breakdown. I thought we, we were just going to talk about it. Same. So the major viewpoints are Risen and Lopin. The Lopin, sorry. The Lopin. Which, by the way, I know I said this last week, but... His perspective chapters are so good. Like, they're so funny. Although I like Risen's chapters as well, but just Lopin's unique perspective on everything really filters. Hey, real quick. So Donchard really ratcheted up my uh, affection for the Lopin. Like, in, in my ranking of favorite characters, he moved up several notches because of Donchard. So, so real quick, and this dips a little bit into the Rhythm of War preview chapters. Uh, do you guys feel like Lyft is kind of getting sidelined? Like, every other point of view character who talks about her just does not like her. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's an effect of her being so young. And she does have a very childish perspective on things as well. Not necessarily her age, but so much how she acts. Like, she's an important member, but they have other edge dance. So it's sort of like, we don't need her. But she's important because she was the first. Well, she's she's very anti-authoritarian. Like, yeah, she she's she's not going to do what she's told for the most part. So, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. 
Nah, it makes sense. She's she she will help out on her own terms. You can't necessarily command her to do anything. Right. Unreliable, as Texas Blade puts it. But yeah, agreed. The Lopin, good stuff. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I figured we would just do an overall talk about it. We don't have to like break it down because we also have to talk about the preview chapter for Rhythm of War, which ends part one. So we got a lot to talk about. Let's uh, let's talk about the actual breakout star of Don Shard, who is Huyo. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I loved all of the places where these characters that we don't really hear from in Alethi are afforded the opportunity to speak in other languages that they know better. Right. And Huyo turns out to be this genius. Like the man hardly ever says two words, and those words are bridge four like that's just about <laughs> the only thing we ever hear from him before and and then you know for him and the lopin to be talking in herdazian and he's like this amazing artifabrian genius like he and navani need to get in a room with a translator and and figure well, stuff out him him messing with the span read is what ultimately leads to the the bridge four the the flying bridge four the fourth bridge sorry the fourth bridge um so it's sort of like he, he's he's like a bit of an engineer like i always thought he was like the silent brooding type like he, he doesn't have a lot to say but he's not he's not stupid he was thinking about things no he does but have yeah, a lot he, to he's say an engineer he just has issues learning a lethe like right exactly he can speak like six other languages he just can't seem to get a handle on a lethe and it is the problem like you said tori where in the main books, they speak Alethi, except for the rare interlude or other perspective chapters. So yeah, they got they got a lot to say, and we never get to hear it until now. Same thing with Cord. Yes, has a that's lot what to I was going to say. Like once they start speaking Vaden, then she's this eloquent, well-spoken young woman, and in Alethi, she sounds kind of like caveman. <laughs> oh man! Now. Yeah, that's it, it. Is neat. I I really like that touch. All right, so let's. Uh... Tori, can you give us a quick rundown on the plot of the book? Okay, I'll try. Um, so there was, uh, they Yalb and company found that ship that was from the interlude in, is it Oathbringer? Yes, it's yeah. Oathbringer. Yeah, it, there's an Oathbringer interlude with a, a voyage to Aemea where everybody, spoiler alert, we're in spoiler town, it's fine. Everybody dies because the Aemeans don't want people to go and discover the secrets that they're hiding on their island so anyway they should have had their tray tables up and their seats in the full upright position exactly and so yalb and company they find this the the ghost ship um and this comes to the attention of navani and the coalition and they're like well we want uh, we've been trying to investigate aemia uh, because we think there's an oath gate over there. And so she puts out a call to, hey, anyone with a ship want to make this expedition for me? And um, cut to Risen, um, who you might recall was given a ship at the end of Oathbringer. Uh, Vistim um, gave her a ship because he's a good BAPS. And um, so she's done, I think, just one other voyage with them, a, a trading voyage, um, getting to know the ship and the crew. And um, so she decides she's going to... She Which was a bit to... of a disaster, apparently. Yes, because the crew um, doesn't really trust her yet. Like, um, they, they 
Vistem commissioned the ship and then hired the crew and then trained the crew and then, without telling them about it, gave the ship to Risen. And so the captain kind of thought that he was going to give the ship to her. And so she and the rest of the crew were like, well, we don't like this person. Like, she has usurped our, our ship from us. And the captain had been on voyages with Vistem and Risen before when when she was still in apprentice mode, and she was a butt the whole time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ew, dumb does, grass. You know, throughout, throughout the novella, Risen reflects on how she has changed since those days and the things that she has learned and how she's, like, she recognizes that she was a brat and she's trying to do better. Um, so mad respect to Risen. But not from the crew. Um, Risen uh, has this larkin, Cheery Cheery, and uh, Cheery Cheery is not doing so well. Uh, Cheery Cheery is kind of uh, listless and and pale and sickly, and she has uh, Risen has contacted um, the the people from the Reshi Isles who who gave the larkin to her, and and they're like, um, so this is a thing that we're not familiar with, um, but we think you need to take her home, take the larkin home um, to Aemia, like whatever it is she needs, that's where you got to go to get it. And so when Risen hears about Navani's call for ships, um, she's like, hey, I need to go to Aemia. Let's, let's do this. So Risen has a meeting with Navani where Navani tells her, you know, we've been trying to study Aemia and, uh, we, we keep getting thwarted by, mysterious circumstances like whenever we send uh windrunners to fly over there uh something sucks up their stormlight and they end up falling into the sea and after after you've rescued a couple of windrunners from the sea you, you start reconsidering your plans so thinking um but there's an oath gate there and they want it and uh so risen's job is to try to get to aemia try to find the oath gate like verify that it's still there and that it appears to be whole um they don't want to open it because there could be bad things on the other side um they just want to find it well so far? risen's job had nothing to do with the oath gate she didn't even know that that was an objective at that point that was that was a secret objective to the to the uh radiance yes you're right i'm remembering that so what was it they told risen that her job was just go there find some treasure Good luck. Treasure, yar. Treasure. Yeah. Um, okay, so they're they're undertaking this voyage, and um, the Lopin and Huyu and Kord um, and Rushu go along. So Rushu is the um, absent-minded ardent that uh, gets caught up in her scholarly pursuits and forgets to be social. So that's Rushu. Um, Kord is Rock's daughter. Um, and like her dad, has the ability to see Sprint. So they think that might be useful. So they send her along. And of course, uh, the Lopin and Huyo are Knights Radiant. Um, and specifically, and only second ideal Windrunners. Yes, so, specifically. So they cannot summon a living Shardblade, which is done intentionally because they just want to scout the Oathgate. They don't want anyone to get the idea of, you know what, let's go ahead and open this thing. Right. So the voyage happened, and Risen has an attendant whose name I forget. Nick Nicklove or something? Yeah, it starts with an N. 
Well, anyway, this guy, spoiler alert, again, we're in spoiler town. I don't know why I'm worried about that. Um, he's actually one of those Dicean AMEans, so the bug people, the people who are made of Kremlings. Um, and it turns out they have kind of a hive mind. Uh, they Nickley. legit have a hive Nickley mind. has yeah. been, yeah has been suggested um so one day he's like oh i need to go visit the head and he locks himself in the bathroom and um exit is typing he locks himself in the bathroom and lets his bug people out and uh is communicating with the other aemians who are you know wherever they are in the world and um is like oh okay well I've uh, I've tried to um, stop this expedition from moving forward in various subtle sabotagey ways, and they're not biting. So should I kill them all? I really don't want to kill them all. And and so the the other Aemians they take a vote, and it's like, no, we're gonna let you try to stop them without killing them all. Okay, uh, so each each Aemian is its own sort of hive mind. They can communicate instantly by just having Kremlings that happen to be physically near each other. Yeah. That are that are part of separate hordes. Well, so... It's right, each... so it's a bunch of separate minds that are connected. The Hordlings... So it's not, not a true hive mind, but... Right. The Hordlings are a hive mind for one specific Dicean Amian. From, for one sleepless. Right. So they what they actually represent, if uh, Team Radiant ever ever figures literally anything out, is the best communication network on Roshar. Man, if they were on Team Radiant side, that'd be so good. But uh, they're not going to figure that out because that would solve too many problems. <laughs> right. Instead, they have to use span reads. Well, they already have span reads. It's not too bad. It's like, why don't they just do this thing that would solve all their problems? Because plot. But yeah, the the sleepless, if if they can be brought aboard to Team Radiant, which the first steps have happened here, um, yeah, they would they would a represent like individually, and like, each one of them is is incredibly physically powerful and impossible to kill and. Uh, they've lived forever, so they know everything. Basically, like yeah. they 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 represent like this huge store of knowledge and and all of this stuff. But they're also a communication network that covers the entirety of the planet instantly. So the main issue, though, Mike, is that their whole goal is guarding the Dawn Shard. Well, apparently like not that... anymore. Okay, well we'll we'll get we'll get to it. But at this point in time of the recap. Their goal was to guard the Dawn Shard. They don't necessarily care what's happening on Roshar itself because they have a Cosmere goal. Also, every time we have seen a Kremling, guaranteed it was actually a Hordelings. I don't think Kremlings are a thing anymore. I mean, I think it was just one of the Hordelings for one of these. I've kind of been saying that since um, since Edge Dancer came out. Like, if if you see a Kremling, it is part of a sleepless right and and there are references throughout the books of seeing kremlings around and there there you go that's someone being a spy is what's happening okay so i'm gonna quickly sum up the rest of the story uh because again we're gonna get whole episodes about it someday in the future um with with dave reading along and giving us bullet points so um i'm not gonna get into all the nitty-gritty details but long story short they make it to the island they um find treasure 
they also find a broken oath gate. And right about the time the party says, I think we should split up to cover more ground. That's when... Um, <laughs> that's the... when the great DM in the sky is like, yeah, do right. that. Um, that's when the, the AMEans are like, no, they know too much. Um, specifically, they, they find treasure and they find the broken oath gate. And um, Risen and company are like, hey, this treasure is too conveniently placed. And Lopin and company are like, this doesn't. This isn't the real oath gate, is it? And they do some digging, and they find the real oath gate is not broken. And um, Nickley, I think his name was, uh, is like, oh no, I was trying to do this without killing you. I guess I have to kill you now. So Cord and Risen, um, well, Cord picks Risen up and jumps over the side of the ship, which was a pretty awesome action scene. Um, and and ends up in this underground or underwater tunnel um, which leads to the room with all the secrets in it. Um, specifically, this is where we were keeping our Dawn Shards and Risen accidentally picks up the Dawn Shards. Um, and now she is well, the, one Dawn of the Dawn Shard. Yeah, but I'm, I'm unclear on the specifics, but stuff happens and so now Risen has a Dawn Shard um, and Nickley mm. shows up she and is a Dawn Shard. I just said that and you corrected me. No, no, no. She, okay. The, there are multiple Dawn Shards. Risen is now one of them. That's what I was correcting. Okay, fine. Um, Bonded so Nickley with it. and Risen um, sit down to do some negotiating with Risen trying to convince the Aemians that uh, they don't need to kill her and everybody with her. And she is a good trader and manages to successfully convince them that that is the case. Uh, meanwhile, up on the surface, uh, Huyo and the Lopin are fighting this giant great shell beast that is attacking them. It's like a scene out of a Godzilla movie and lots of action and cool Windrunner stuff. And then uh, Huyo, uh, just in the nick of time, does the third ideal and gets a shard blade and manages to... to fight the thing off and and right about then is when the AME and, and Risen strike an accord so the the great shell beast backs off. And, and uh, um, what what were the circumstances under which Huyo swore the third uh the third ideal which let me let me remind you uh has to do with protecting someone you hate. He was rescuing the Lopin. He looked right at the Lopin when he swore that ideal. So after events have concluded on the island and they're getting back on the ship um, and the Lopin and Huyo are in, in the boat together on the way back to the ship, um, the Lopin's like, so um, you really hate me? And Huyo's like, look, you just, you're, you're a little much. And like, we don't hate you, but sometimes you say things and it hurts our feelings. Uh, and, and I'm speaking on behalf of the whole family. Like, this is an intervention right now. <laughs> and the Lopin bless him uh instead of being you know offended and angry about it he's sad he doesn't want to hurt the people he loves and um and 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 so he uh he says he's he's got to protect i've got to um, protect people you know even from myself yes and that's his third ideal and then he gets he his it. he gets his shard blade and it's he's like so what seriously like while I'm alone in a room and brooding, that's when you be become a shard blade. Like I didn't get to do it in the middle of a battle, and you know, in a in a 
moment of triumph? No, I have to do it in my room all alone. And and then he goes off to to show Huyo um his his new shard blade and Which it's is adorable. Very similar him. to how he swore his second ideal. Yeah, that's no, why he's like, "What do you mean thing. again? Seriously?" And I get the sense that we're going to follow the Lopen all the way through all five ideals and none of them are going to happen like actually when he needs it. It's always going to be after. I disagree, Mike. I think that's too predictable. I think his last one. His last one's actually going to be like during a fight when he actually needs the help. Yes, I think that one will be. But the fourth one, yeah, it's totally just going to be he's going to be saying random things. Now, I do want to point out that the third ideal isn't necessarily protecting people you hate. That just happens to be what Kaladin and Teft say. But I don't think, like, Huyo doesn't hate the Lopin. He just thinks he's a pain in the butt sometimes. And same thing with Lopins. He's protecting people from himself. So it's not necessarily hate so much as protecting something that you don't quite understand. Right. I, no, right. I, I, think, I was, I was I just the referencing. Gist of it is, the gist of it is just that I will protect people, period. Like, you, you kind of agree to protect people in the second ideal but the third ideal is like the purity of that form like you will protect people even if you hate them even if they're you even if no matter what you're going to protect people yeah uh, what i what i was referencing was um that yeah um the the established i guess versions that we had already seen were i will protect people even if i hate them and I will protect people, even if the person I hate is me. Like, that's that's what had been established at that point. Yeah. So now we see that there are even more variants on it that don't necessarily revolve around, you know, protecting despite hating. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here. Are you done with the summary, Tori? Uh, yes, pretty much. Um... Uh, so can we can we talk about Dawn Shards? Like the the concept. Okay, that's that's a big one. Yes. Yes, please, because I'm. Con- uh, I, I know it involves adenosium and Cosmere wide stuff. Like this isn't just Roshar stuff here. This is Cosmere stuff. So what my understanding of it is is um yeah like in order to make a dawn shard work properly, you need to be extremely heavily invested, which is why they didn't want um they didn't want Risen to um. Bond. Become become a night radiant, yeah. Because then there's there's potentially um, the ability for her to at that point gain enough investiture to be able to actually use the dawn shard, which is a lot of power and thus extremely dangerous. Which, by the way, would also mean a cognitive shadow accessing a dawn shard is also a bad thing because they are they are investiture with a mind. But even even then, depending on what type of cognitive shadow they might not have enough. Like, True. Um, you know, a, a shade from Threnody probably can't do anything with it, where Vasher probably can. Yeah, they they have different levels of, um, basically, their mind. The shades on Threnody aren't very there. Okay, I got disconnected for a minute, but I'm back now. Okay. Welcome back. I forgot to say that Cherry Cherry played a big part in Risen and the AME and striking that deal. Because Cherry Cherry, it turns out, is one of the great guardians that used to guard the Dawn Shards, and the Aemeans kind of took over doing that when all the Larkins were dead. Yeah. So and the... because because Cherry Cherry uh, loves Risen, um, 
and uh, came to her defense when the AMEans were about to kill her. The AMEans reconsidered. The big thing is that this the Dawn Shard stuff is Cosmere wide. One of the Dawn Shards happens to be on Roshar, but there are there's four of them that we are told that there's four, and the three others are just somewhere else in the Cosmere. We don't know where. And they are sort of high level commands. Like each each Dawn Shard represents a single command. Okay, so I'm I'm getting on my soapbox here. Do it. Okay. Um, so as it was described to us in Dawn Shard, the book, um, these Dawn Shards are, like you said, commands. The things that exist in the Cosmere, especially related to Adonalsium, is that there are commands and intent, which, by the way, reminds me very much of um, the breath magic on Nalthus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. We have commands and intents. These commands, these four commands, have existed during Adonalsium. And from what we can see from the mural and what we're told, they were the thing that was used to break Adonalsium into 16. So Risen is now one-fourth of a god bomb. Yes, correct. Now, her command appears to be change. So, like, the word itself happens to be change in some way. That happens to be the one that she has. There is speculation on, on the subreddits about what the other commands are, and I don't really want to go into it. Just be aware that the commands are different. Now, intent. Intent is the other big thing that exists and is required. And where have we heard these words before? But the shards themselves, the god shards, they are all different intent. So... You know, endowment is the intent of endowment, or honor was the intent of honor, and that's sort of what happened. So we have these commands that were able to break a god into its intent, different intent. So uh, we got one of these. We got some neat mural that sort of describes this. We're getting in some, like, deep Cosmere stuff in this book. Oh, my gosh. We know that these sleepless have been guarding the Dawn Shard, uh, I don't know if they happen to exist on other planets or they just happen only on Roshar. And as you mentioned, the Larkin, Cheery Cheery, also happened to be one of the original guardians of the Dawnshard, but they apparently all died off or something. Or at least they are, we can't find them. And um, Cheery Cheery's health issue was based around her needing to uh, bond with a Luxbren to, yes. grow, to grow bigger and to, um, to counter the effects of gravity on her she might have something similar to uh, ideals as for, as like, many great. as many great shells uh bond with various luxpren in in that same way yes to, to counter the effects of gravity and allow them to bypass the square cube law so so cheer cheer will have to return every now and then until she becomes full size and she's going to be gigantic in full size we get to look forward to that well we probably aren't going to see those trips because those trips are going to be boring now <laughs> yes uh so yeah so one of the dawn shards which is just a command was stored on roshar specifically at this location in amia and uh that that was their big thing that's what the sleepless were trying to to guard and protect against like you mentioned you don't want someone who's invested to to have access to, with, to the command because they can then use the command that's a bad thing so is Hoyd trying to collect enough investiture to then collect a Dawn Shard to then make use of one? 
Or that is, is my thought exactly, Mike. Or is he trying thought. to specifically avoid that? I don't see how he can avoid it. He's trying to make himself super invested, probably so he can use one of these Dawn Shards. Uh, what what I mean by avoid that is he, he's clearly gaining as much investiture as he can. That's that's established, right? Yes. Um, but maybe he's actually on the side of the sleepless, and he's like, well, these Dawn Shards are just straight up too much power. No one should have them. My my group of Ocean 16 uh, used them, and we screwed stuff up, you guys. So nobody should use these. Right. I don't see how he could protect it in that way, but I guess we'll have to see. I don't trust Toyd, personally. Um, um, I do right up until race is no longer part of the, uh, part of the equation. Uh, race, the holder of... Um, odium, not race, you know, the the concept. I'm I'm not trying to say that, that Hoyt is a racist somehow. That would be wild. We, we know what you're saying. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, right up until race is no longer, you know, part of the part of the whole deal. Yes, I, I trust Hoyt because he has a personal vendetta against a very, very, very bad person who's doing very bad things. Right. After that's no longer an issue, then... Then, at that point, yeah. Then Hoyd has tons of power. He's not pointed at something worse than him. Then we've got issues. So one of the speculations is that each of the commands were used as sort of... break. So they, they believe there's a thought that all four commands were used to break Adonalsium into four. So they would be a bundle of intents. And then each of the commands broke those four into four more pieces. So change, which happens to be the one Risen has, specifically, I guess, made four of the different so, Dawn Shards. So yeah, each each Dawn Shard represents a a fourth of the um of the Shardic intents in the same way that um Alamancy is broken up into physical, mental, temporal, and um what's the last one? Uh it's enhancement. Enhancement, there we go. Um Texas Blade brings up a good point. Hoyd was a Dawn Shard at some point in the past. And that's why apparently he can't harm people or eat meat or anything because of something that changed in his spirit web by, by being a Dawn Shard at one point. So does he still have it or nah? I don't think so. I think it was something he had. He was at one point, which which I guess is a good thing for Risen, which means she can give it up somehow. Um... I don't know that that is a good thing. As long as she's prevented from, you know, gaining enough investiture to actually use it, I I think she's act she's a safer holder than a wall mural. True. She might live longer now because of it. She okay, and and something that happened when she gained the command, it felt like she was getting the fifth heightening. She sees colors now. She can hear musical notes, and, and she has perfect pitch, essentially. She has what looks like the fifth heightening from, you know, Nalthus from uh, Returned. Like, I mean, it's that, almost the same exact thing. That would make sense if, you know, the Dawn Shard itself represents, you know, a, a good chunk of investiture all by itself, and then you just, yeah. you need more to be able to use it, like, a lot more. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it is equivalent to a Returns God Breath. We have a God Command. So yeah, that's that's pretty neat. And, and it does mean, I think, Risen will be able to live forever and all that other fun stuff that the Return have. 
Um, she could probably then heal, and this is this is something I'm really glad that they didn't do. Um, I'm I, I am sort of glad that Risen is going to like it's not like a let's just cure Risen and get rid of her paralysis. Like this is a part of who she is. We have a character who understands this and and is willing to you know live with it. I I think she's gonna need to have a have a nice little chat with Vasher before any of this can actually come about because uh i'm pretty sure she needs to it's her what's the phrasing like for the same reason she can't heal with stormlight i don't know that holding a dawn shard would would heal her until she changes her own like cognitive perception of her I, yeah. there's a phrase for this she is not able to heal because how she views herself is someone who has paralysis same thing with kaladin has scars because that's who he views himself to be right if she changes her mind she can probably walk again so it it really depends on on how she views herself well what what i'm Um, suggesting is that now she has enough investiture to uh like the um i i have lost all the words i have no words the the gods from nalthus the returned like the returned she potentially now has some like limited shape-shifting abilities based on her own self-perception. I, d- I don't know that that's necessarily tied to being a cognitive shadow. I think that's just a, a question of, like, enough investiture, and maybe you can just start doing that. Probably. And then that would be the the way that she would then be able to heal from her paralysis if she even wants to. Okay, so my whole point was from a meta perspective, like, in terms of Brandon writing this kind of character, I'm glad that she's not just healing herself and that's the solution. Right. Like the solution is this is who she is and she's able to use her, herself to her full extent. Right. It's a good thing. Representation in, in media is a good thing. Uh, shall we move on to the preview chapter? No, I'm not done. Okay. I know, I know we're pressed for time. There was uh, a couple I'm not. other things. That... Oh, this, okay. This was I, your I, time. I also I'm not. Okay. I'm the one pressed for time because of baby. Uh, I did have some other things that weren't Dawn Shard, the command related, uh, about the other characters. Um, now I'm trying to struggle and remember. So Core does get access to the Shard Plate. We, we we see it in the Rhythm of War preview chapter, but she has a Shard Plate at this point, which apparently existed for a long time. So and and was used by the Guardians themselves. Like it's interesting there. I so like how don't know in the preview Shard chapter. In the preview chapter, it's like, yeah, and Cord has shard plate, and we were all like, oh my gosh, how did she get it? And she literally just found it, like it was lying around, and she picked it up. She has the role of finders keepers. Well, if if you'll remember, my original assumption was that uh, Cord's plate was Amaram's plate because that was a way that we knew that someone in her family had gotten or had had earned plate because he killed Amaram. Uh, but apparently Rock uh, is just taking that back to um, to the Horn Eater Peaks, the the, right. the plate and blade. So so the big thing I want to talk about was Rushu. I are you calling her more, fat? No, I'm more convinced that she's a Chandra at this point, or she, she's a something that is. She's not just a simple Arden. There's the she was going to sail to the island, and like I think it was Arisen or someone's like, hey, you know. The night radiance makes sense, and some of the sailors can take care of themselves. But you know, they can 
if something goes wrong, they can protect themselves. And she's like, yep. And then she goes like she's perfectly safe. I think she's a Condra. She's also noted as she's the really, really pretty Ardent, too. Okay. Which might be a Condra showing off a little bit. Mm, maybe. I, I think she's a Condra, or if not a Condra, she's something else. She's not a sleepless because we got to see their perspective and, and we know she's not on their side. There is only one sleepless that isn't part of of the the mass phone call, and that is Arclo, the one from Edge Dancer. Oh yeah, I I didn't I didn't remember his name. Uh, he gets called out in Donshard okay. as he's the rebel. Ah, so Axes is one of them as well, then, right? No, Axes is a different type of Iamian. Oh, he's not a sleepless. Right. Uh, Axes okay. is a again. I've lost all words. Anyway, there there are Iameans that are hive minds of of Kremlings. Those are the sleepless. Axes is an Iamean who is immortal, has some minor shape shifting, shadow goes the wrong way, is blue. Saya Amean. There we go. Versus Dicean Iamean. Okay. Uh and then there are just regular old Rosharan humans who happen to live on Iamea who have a culture who are Iameans. <laughs> right. All of those, oh, all man. of those three separate groups fall under the umbrella category of Iamian. So my whole thing is the Rushu. Parasol Academy. Rushu is something special. That's that's my only thought. Um, I like it. Yeah, I like it, and, and I agree with it. And until we get proof otherwise, I'm going to call it canon. And I don't think we can use the Dawn shards themselves to get rid of Odium. I think there's concern that they're going to be used in the wrong way, but they they. Considering the fact that they broke Adonalsium, they are more powerful than these god shards. And as it's described to us, they would be bad in the wrong hand. I don't think we're going to be able to use them to handle Odium. I think uh, there are other ways. Texas Blade thinks that Rushu is just a nerd, which is special to him, and he loves it. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and as I mentioned before, Lopin Chapter's good. I like the whole... Uh, thing with his ideals and it's sort of sad because like my impression of him is that people like his jokes but i guess he can be a little overbearing well he spent the entire novella going out of his way to be a little bit mean to huyo yeah that's true like oh at, at at no point did i feel that it was like excessive or or there was any actual like bad intent to it yeah. That that was just like his particular way of bonding with Huyo, but from Huyo's perspective, it's a bit much and he could stand to tone it down. Yeah. Okay. Um shoot. I had something, I forgot it. Is that something the final Dawn Shard preview chapter? I think so. Then let's I think do it. That's the last thing I wanted to say, and now I can't remember it, so I guess Don't it wasn't very important. Don't you mean Rhythm of War preview chapter? I do mean that. I <laughs> as as established I am not wording well today. No words, you say. Uh, so, Tori, are you able to give us a breakdown of this chapter this week? Well, I'm able to start one for you, but I'll have to cut out in the middle, because as has been mentioned, I played video games instead of reading my chapters this week, and I am so sorry. But I have half a chapter to tell you about. And then I'll let you guys finish while I go read the rest of the chapter. Never apologize for playing video games instead of doing the responsible thing. I got you your know, back, I have, 
I have spent so long not playing video games. Like I used to, as a teenager, just sit down and play video games for hours. And that was my unwind time at the end of the, the day after going to school. And I don't know, somewhere after grad school and starting a career, I started feeling like there were so many other things I should be doing with my time. And I, I quit playing video games. And like I, I still played them on occasion, but I, the the sit down and play for hours and just totally let myself unwind with a video game quit happening. And you know what? 2020 sucks. And I have just embraced the thing that makes me feel good. And so, yeah, that was more than you guys needed. I, I think we all need a break from 2020 at this point. So, I'm, I'm done with 2020. There's one good thing that. that happened to me in 2020, and that is it. Actually, maybe maybe two good things at this point, but that's it. So I've got Don Shard and Rhythm of War and your daughter. So I'm counting three. Okay, I mean, four. I have four good things. Stop adding things to 2020. No, to be fair, <laughs> there have still been a lot of good things, like movies and books and video games and morning coffee and days of great weather and flowers in the garden and pet snuggles. All of those things still happened. But there is just this this cloud of wrongness over the whole year this this pall this miasma this we need more words and like mike i don't have them so the last rhythm of war preview chapter which i have read half of chapter 19 garnets this starts with professor navani telling us hey we all need to work together we artifabrians and share our secrets because um that seems like the wise thing to do nothing nothing about new metals or fancy gemstones, just a, a plea for cooperation. Mm -hmm. Then we have a scene of uh, Navani and Rishu. And so the, the pillar at the middle of Irithiru that's full of gems and that Navani is so sure is some kind of fabrial device that runs the city. Um, they found a, a handful of garnets that are in the same configuration as one of the suppression fabrials. And Navani's like, ooh, Rushu, I need you and the Ardents to, like, comb this entire thing and find other configurations that are comparable to modern Fabrials. So they've done that, and Rushu's like, we didn't find any. So that was a good theory, but it looks like it's not going anywhere. So, this stuff. Okay, and so Rushu studied that suppression Fabrial previously mentioned, um... And they looked at the shin, the, the sprint in Shadesmar. I can talk. They looked at the sprint in Shadesmar. And it turns out it's made of one of those sentient sprint. Um, and it's over there in Shadesmar having a hissy fit and won't talk to them. Well, specifically, it's corrupted sentient sprint, right? Yes, that too. Yes, it's corrupted in the same way that Renarin sprint is corrupted. Um, but I don't think that corruption is what is causing it to have a hissy fit. Yeah. So, and Navani reflects on that weird span read communication she got that was accusing her of capturing Spren, and she hasn't heard anything from that mysterious person since then, um, but she's thinking about it now. And so there, this makes there me were think... a lot of details missing from that communication, because Navani does lots of stuff, and she has no idea what of the many, many things she does could be the bad thing. So I'm thinking, just based on this scene right here, that the ancient Fabrials um, had the sentient sprint, and instead of capturing them, they were like 
uh, drafted or no, like, like, like maybe it was, yeah, like bonded, like maybe it was a voluntary thing. Like maybe this is their job because she mentions the Oathgate Spren and how they don't seem to mind being bound to the Oathgate. And so probably it was voluntary, like probably they're getting something out of it. And we don't know what that is, but these, um, the modern Fabrials with the non-sentient Spren, like, they're literally capturing them and, like, it's like forcing the dog to run on the wheel to power the whatever, you know, to turn the spit, basically. Um, that, like, you've taken this animal and you have enslaved it. Um, that's, that's what I think is happening. And um, as opposed to, hey, we're going to hire this street urchin to turn the spit. And then he gets a warm place to sleep. And also the thing still gets done. Did, did you sense? just favorably compare child labor to animal labor? It's not the worst thing I've done on this podcast, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we pretty regularly sound like serial killers. But I, I feel like that one might be a little much. Okay, I apologize. Let's let's ignore that. Corey crossed um, the line. She found it and crossed it. And I'll do it again and just watch. <laughs> Probably not today though, because I didn't finish the chapter. Um, so yeah, the the spren that's in the suppression fabrial is a sentient spren and is throwing a fit. I think because the um, the fuse enslaved it without getting permission first like instead of hiring it to do a job they enslaved it just like the navani is doing the non-sentience brand i think that's why it's upset that's my personal theory um but it's got navani thinking about the pillar and how it's supposed to work and um because those garnets uh are in the formation of a suppression fabrial she thinks that this is part of the um basically the security system for the tower because the tower is protected from incursions by the fuse um mm -hmm. and they've talked to various spren and the spren say well yeah the the light weaving fuse they they can't get in here um but navani's not so sure she she tells rushu like you or i we could be fused right now and rushu's like oh i don't like thinking about that that, that is a little scary that these enemy light weave just be anywhere uh this it's, it's... this theory is also backed up before we even heard the theory um by the our most recent chapter with uh, Venli, like it's this confirmed. This is gonna be a find the chondra all over. Find the well, light weaving fused. Yep. Apparently, you've already found the chondra, and it's Rushu. I mean, that's, yeah, that's not the problem. I don't want to find the enemy light weaver though. Yeah, we like chondra now. That's true. <laughs> that yes. Hey, I always like chondra. Oh, hey. Orsir's the best. Because no, he Tensoon. isn't. Wait, Tensoon's the best. Oh my gosh, I did the thing. Orsir was. Kind of a butt. Or or seer was a butt. Ten soon's the best. Ten soon being or seer was fine. Like any any good feeling you have toward or seer is one hundred percent on ten soon. Like ten soon did that. Yes. So continue more continuing. Okay. Um. So Navani tells Rushu to figure out who could um figure to to put together a team to come up with uh, like a list of questions that could identify the fuse like come up with a way to identify the um the light weaver fuse so rushu goes off to do that navani goes uh to the room where it happens um she has put together a team of um brilliant minds and engineers to study 
fabrials and and try to come up with new configurations of them uh, in the way that they have invented the fourth bridge. And so she ends up talking to uh, this guy, Falilar, and his nephew, um, Tomar. I had to look that up. Um, they are working on the, the fabrials that can transfer force, um, specifically trying to make it where they can transfer the force in any direction. So you're pulling one end of the fabrial in a static direction, but you on the other end get to choose the direction that you direct that force, which seems like a pretty cool application, except that they have a, a whole team of guards in there pulling ropes to make the fabrial go. And Falilar is like, but the manpower. And Navani is like, oh, let me show you a thing. And she takes him to... Um, kind of a shaft in the tower that they don't know what the shaft was for, but she's kind of turned it into a place with um, ropes and pulleys and heavy weights. Um, they're going to use um, giant windmills during the high storms to um, wind up the weights and like store that force. And then later you can drop the weights and it's attached to a fabriole. And then you can use the force from dropping the weight to do things. Ta-da! Yep. That's... Um, why why is... use man when you can grab Indeed. So they've, and... they've magically harnessed windmill technology and counterweight technology. Yes, magically. That's what we say in fantasy books. So Navani tells uh, Falilar, um, so you and your guys, I want you to look at these weights and pulleys and figure out ways to make them more efficient so that we can... Uh, raise and drop the weights multiple times without needing a high storm between each time. And and he's like, that's brilliant. I'm on it. From there, new scene. Navani goes off to the meeting of oh, the hold monarchs. On, hold on. Hold on. Okay. I want to talk real quick about this. Okay, do it. They say, it will be done, he said, taking the box. This is genius, brightness, truly. And then once again, Navani's like, no, she's just a patron. She's not a genius. The fact of the matter is she's taking people who are doing research, understanding the applications and combining it with other research that other people are doing. The ability to put all of this together is genius. Navani needs to accept this. Yeah, I noticed that too. He's like, this is genius. You're you're a genius. And she's like, no, you like Navani. I love you. So one of her O's is going to be, I will acknowledge my own successes. Yes. <laughs> yes, Mike already figured it out. Um, but how, how cool is this thing, though, that she can just basically point it in a direction and then she gets pulled in that direction? So it's it decoupled the direction that has to be pulled and we have just the pull itself. So basically the vector has been the vector doesn't matter anymore so much as the energy required to pulling You're and this sort vector. of reminds me a little bit of push and pull from alamancy a little bit I, I don't think craig heard the sick burn that i laid down on him i missed it you're yeah, a vector i still missed it you're a vector <laughs> okay thank you what, what's your vector victor uh, uh all right yeah. so what's next okay Next, she goes to the meeting of the monarchs, and she reflects on how the coalition has grown and how, you know, it used to be everyone was nervous about um, backstabbing and betrayal, and so they weren't talking much. But now everyone's chatty, and she knows all their names, and she asks about their families. And then she turns around, and it's Teravangian. 
and she is not comfortable around Tara Vangian, and rightly so. Yeah, because um, because he's a psychopath, and it it sort of makes me happy that Team Radiant doesn't trust Tara Vangian. Like we know more than what Team Radiant knows, and we don't trust them. So the fact that they they are willing to accept that they can't trust them, but they also are forced to work with them. I mean, it sucks, but at least they're blindly going along with him. Yeah, they are not blindly going along with him. Um, So Teravangian's like, oh, hey, Navani, how's that flying ship of yours? Can I see how it's made? And Navani's um, not comfortable with the idea because she knows what kind of a man he is. And... um, it says here that the assassin in white had revealed the truth. So now everybody knows what Teravangian did and how he became the the Vaden king. And um, once that, once the truth was out, Teravangian didn't even try to hide it. He was just like, yep, I did. I arranged all of those people to die. Um, so Navani asks him, well, how are the troubles at home? <laughs> because she's um, deflecting and not going to tell him about the flying ship and how it's made. Um and he says um, that he has chosen a new heir uh, for Yakoved, and um, that he has managed that he has um, made it so that his um, daughter is now in charge of Carbron. So I don't know if that means he's stepping back from being a monarch in light of all the things that he's done and how everybody knows so. about them. Uh, I think it's just if he dies. Yeah, all all I remember reading about that was that they were heirs, not yeah. like he had named heirs. He had named a Vaden heir to take over uh, Yakoved because right that would that would make the the Vadens happy. But since you know he was king of Carbranth in his own right before um, before starting a giant civil war and taking over Yakoved, then yeah, he needed to appease them in some way. But what do you yeah. want to bet that his Vaden heir is a member of the diagram? Absolutely. I will not take that bet. Well, and Navani, again, not trusting him, is like, yeah, it's a pity all of the brilliant Vadens died who could be helping us with our war going on right now. Um, Navani with her own sick burn. Well, and Teravangian is apparently uh, immune to burning because he's like, <laughs> you know... The the king of Yakoved wouldn't have joined your little coalition, and it's a good thing I was there because I did. And then he tells her that he would do it all again, um, because every everybody he killed, everything that he did was all for the good of humanity and trying to save other lives. The ends justify the means. Indeed. Yeah, as as noted before, um, Teravangian is extremely Machiavellian, like. Like Brandon, I'm guessing in in creating this character, read the prince and then references it whenever he needs to get back in the head of Teravangian. And he also points out, you know, I didn't cause that Vaden civil war. The people did that. All I did was kill the monarch and create a power vacuum. And so, um, I'm not sure how good his argument is here, though. He, from our perspective, they have a quote-unquote ally who's probably going to stab them in the back at any point is that really better than just having a country that's not part of the coalition and therefore you just simply guard your borders against it if if you need to uh that is actively worse okay in in my opinion wait which one is worse um having him as a member of the coalition 
who right is, exactly who is, having who... he can stab you in the back at any point yeah that's that's way worse that's what i'm saying go on tori well i missed whatever you just said because i had to reload again oh. but anyway Teravangian is like uh i didn't cause that civil war and also by the way um both of your husbands did burn villages to the ground in pursuit of their goals and i've not done that yet um <laughs> But then he undermines that argument by like, I would, you know. Yeah, if it needed to be done, I'd do it, but I yeah. haven't done it. So um, anyway, um, then Ooh, he... This is a good line that he says right here, though. Everything I've done was in the name of protecting humankind. Every step I've taken, every ploy I've devised, every pain I've suffered, it was all done to protect our future. He's not lying here. Like, this is exactly what he thinks. This is Taravangian in a nutshell. And that's dangerous. In fact, Navani actually thinks that in like that is chapters later. Extremely similar to Yasna's philosophy. Yeah. So, she she would be the closest to his viewpoint. In... I'm wondering if uh if we aren't due for Taravangian to become our second else caller rather than our third bondsmith. Yeah. I don't think he's gonna become an else caller. I th I think he's He's not radiant enough. Well, I mean, he's got those questionable morals, and also he runs a hospital, and I don't know. Yasna, despite her thoughts, she is still a... Her first oath is still journey before destination. It's just the human journey instead of an individual. Which Teravangian is following. He just he just took the uh, the route of making a deal with the enemy is the way to secure humanity. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, so after that, he kind of walks the scary back a couple of steps. And, and he says, I really am impressed with your flying ship, you know, and future generations won't thank you for it, but I'm going to thank you for it right now. And then he goes off to his corner all alone. And Navani kind of has a, a shiver go up her spine because, <laughs> and then she goes to talk with some of the other monarchs. And that is as far as I got you guys. So whatever the monarchs talked about in their little meeting, you're going to have to discuss it amongst yourselves. Uh, the thing that the monarchs talked about. Well, don't is... tell me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave the podcast now and let you guys finish without me. Oh. Oh, bye, okay. Tori. Bye, Tori. Okay, bye. All right, Tori's still here. Okay, she's gone. Play the thing. Maybe she just physically walked away. Tori is still here. Um, I think we're okay. All right, whatever. Tori's still here, don't play the thing. <laughs> yeah, I think she may have, like, physically just set her headset down and walked away. Walked away. <laughs> uh, I'm that's done good. with this, guys. All right, so the thing that the monarchs talk about is Dalinar's proposal of what, like, what the next step in the war needs to be, and that is uh, moving in force on Makabaki, and basically... Um, well, to the Amul um, right. and kingdom, uh, hammer and anvil on the uh, on the singer forces between themselves and God King Crazy Ishar. Yes, which is is decent. It's workable. Um, well, Tori's gone. Played the thing. Okay, Tori is gone. Still don't play the thing because you played the thing when Dave left. There's no <laughs> second thing for Tori leaving. Tori doesn't have a thing. Anyway, uh, yeah. Since since Ishar at this point seems uh, resistant to uh, the to letting the singers conquer his country, 
then taking advantage of that and yeah forcing them into a backs against the wall kind of kind of situation seems strategic or yeah strategically viable so they are having a vote if this is the plan do we agree as a coalition because you know they they are democratic amongst themselves and the scariest possible thing happens terror vangian accepts and and, and promises and 20,000 troops when he previous to this had just straight up refused to offer any troops for anything for any reason ever well except for helping yakovet right and now it's like yeah i'll help you guys and it's like what is happening i have i have a theory by the way but we'll, we'll get to it after the summary mike that, i that's all i remember oh Take okay over. well I'll, I'll cover the rest um so they all—they are all in agreement. All of there's like what five of them leaders. They are all in agreement that this is a good plan. And the mink is trying to get a spot on the council as well, or at least the Herdazian spot on the council. Mm-hmm. But it sort of makes sense because we already have leaders on the council that sort of don't have lands anymore. Yasna. Um yep. So then it's sort of like, all right, well, we need some windrunners to help protect us and. Apparently, during these meetings, we also have representatives from each of the Radiant Orders that are on Team Radiant. And big news is we have we already have some Stone Wardens. We didn't know, but we do now. Yep. They do have some Stone Wardens. Um, so, yeah, so the Windrunners are going to help out. The, but win, the Windrunner representative is not Kaladin this time. It's Sigil. Sigzil. He's, since he's the company leader, or whatever they call it. Sigzil. Yeah, there, there's, that's what I said. there's an no. It is explicitly what not what you have can't, ever said. Can't prove otherwise. Sorry, we're moving on. We're recording. <laughs> Sigil. Sigzil. There's a Z. I said that the first time. Sigzil. I don't know what you want from me. Uh. uh I would yeah. like you to quit trying to gaslight me about a thing we're recording. Well, that's because I know that you know that we're that I'm not serious. Um, see, I lost my train of thought now. Good. So the the point is that they're gonna help out, but then Sigzel, yes, yes, okay. Sigzel talks uh, with his friend, and they have a very good point. And this is sort of what we knew was coming in the book is that an a team of people should go to lasting integrity the Honor Sprint City, send a delegation to them and try to, number one, apologize for the past, and two, just, you know, be diplomatic and try to get them on their side. And that delegation should include um, some uh, Knights Radiant, but only from orders that the the, the mass, or the majority of, of those Spren are on board with Team Radiant. Right. And not so, from, from orders that are the opposite. So the current honor sprint that we have in the Windrunners are sort of rebels, uh, especially Syl, since he was the first, but they don't necessarily have the approval of the overall honor sprint leadership. So they would be bad to send. Yep. So instead, like you said, we want to send um, delegations from people who willingly went out to bond people like the cultivation sprint for the edge dancers and the cryptics um, or or the cryptics, or the light. Even though cryptics don't necessarily get along with um, Honor Sprint, they're still willing to discuss things. And cryptics were willingly sending out people, um, sorry, Sprint the Bond. And not uh, Yasna, the one else caller. Yep, she's the only else caller 
that we have at this point and until Taravangian maybe becomes one. And uh, they, they also asked Dalinar to ask um, the Stormfather to put in a good word for them. Yeah. So the Honor Sprint are the closest to Honor. They care about oaths. And the Recreance was, in their perspective, going against the oath. Um, so, yeah, they, they need to apologize big time. Even though the humans themselves had nothing to do with it, it's still in recent memory in terms of Sprint. So you got to go do the proper thing. And so here, here's who we have. Number one, Lyft did try to volunteer. But as we mentioned in our earlier discussion, she sort of shunted aside. She's she's no diplomat. And it's it's probably not the best idea for her to go along with it. Except that Wendell is. so. Wendell is, yes. So it probably is a good idea for her to go, except not her, him. <laughs> Specifically Wendell. Yes. yes. Well... Instead, they say Godeki. He's a he's a another edge dancer that we actually got to see in an earlier preview chapter. So he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's the edge dancer that will go. Probably um, edge dancer number two after Lyft. I don't think Lyft's going. No, no, Lyft isn't going. I'm saying like in the in the oh, edge dancer two. hierarchy. Yeah, um, we have Radiant specifically because you can tell that this is Radiant talking. Navani doesn't seem to understand the difference between Shalon's different identities. But it's pretty clear this was Radiant who's uh, volunteering to go as one of the envoys, along with Adeline, Adeline. Um, and then isn't there one more? A Truth Watcher. But not Renarin, because, again, he has that's, a corrupted friend. that is potentially a bad thing. Right. So we're going to have a Truth Watcher as well, uh, since it looks like they are willingly, their sprint are willingly joining them. Um, and as you mentioned, a good word from the Stormfather. So this is this is our team of diplomats that are going to talk to the honors. Um, the only thing I have about this portion, though, is I feel like it would be better if Dalinar, if the Bondsmith was one of the ones to go. Like, I feel like that would have the biggest impact, but I can also understand that he's one of the leaders. He can't just go. You send ambassadors, you don't send your leader. They, they need Dalinar to be seven different people all at the same time, yeah. all the time. Yep. And he can't because he isn't. So we have our team of people that we're going in. Also, this shows us who's going to be available in um, Uruthiru at this point in time. Like, Lyft will still be there. Kaladin will still be there. So if they happen to be attacked in some short-term future, uh, at least we'll have some Radiance in the tower. I don't think that's likely. I, I certainly don't think that um, we just got a chapter about how they're going to attack the tower, the fuse. Yeah, you don't think it's likely? Nah. They're all, really they're, all, they're all just talk, no bite. All right. Um, so after this point, uh, they had, you know, some side conversations, and Dalinar it goes to chill in his room after the discussion. Navani, of course, is welcome there, even though he's, he gets rid of the servants, but you got you chill with your wife. It's, um, he wants to be alone by himself with nobody else and Navani. Yeah. And, of course, they talk about Taravangian because it's really weird that he willingly went along with this and he's worried that something is up. The scariest possible thing happened. <laughs> right. Uh, and then they, of course, talk about Sadius because this sounds very familiar. It's like, and is Dalinar just trusting someone implicitly when he really shouldn't? And it ends up getting him stabbed in the back. Like, is this what we're seeing again? But the difference is they know they can't trust Taravangian. So this is not like Sadius. This is not the same thing. 
Um, yeah. That well, is mostly because mostly they aren't it. trusting him. Correct. And Navani will also be staying at the tower. The, I, this, I think, is super important. Navani, our future bondsmith to the sibling, will be at the tower. There we go. That's that's the preview chat. This is the end of part one. So uh, a couple things I wanted to discuss here, as I do, of course. Um, one of the things is that I really feel like Taravangine is being set up as one of the big villains now. Like, Odium is the big bad, but Taravangine is the next big hurdle that Team Radiant has to open. And this is something that Brandon has described in his his writing process, is that sometimes you start out, you want a villain, you want antagonists that are roughly the same power level as your hero. And they outgrew Sadius and ELA. Like, they, they are weak in terms of Team Radiant. So they were removed. Now we have people like Taravangian, who wields much more power, who has a whole country and multiple places and people under him. So, yeah, Taravangian is sort of taking Sadius's place. Yep. In the, in the, uh, blah, the non-magical villain category, Taravangian is, is, yeah. Yeah. The, the new top guy. In the so semi-magical villain territory, uh, we still have Moash slash Vire. And yeah. in the full magical villain territory, we have the fused and odium. Yep, we got a lot of problems. Odium. Yep. Um, I'm wondering if if Taravangian is actively working with Odium at this point, and him committing to this this attack is basically just a way to get the tower available, like open and available, so that the fuse can attack it. Like, is this a big plan and Taravangian was directed to be in on it or is this just sort of Taravangian's up to something else? See, I don't know. Because um, because of the way that Odium got Taravangian on board, like, yeah. Taravangian was on board in good faith and then Odium was all like, you know what? Nope. I'm going to cheat. And I feel like that has has put a bit of a damper on their whole alliance maybe what do you mean that what exactly are you referring to that he's going to cheat uh well when he decided to uh make the deal with Teravangian on a day when he knew that Teravangian was slower passionate and not intelligent yeah yep like very intentionally and like when he did that he was also gloating the whole time <laughs> that's true yes like yeah i outsmarted you what are you going to do about it stop hitting yourself stop hitting yourself that that's my odium impression. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> yes, spot on. So, like, yeah, no, nobody wants like Teravangian already knew he was he was uh, coming. He was negotiating from a position of weakness, right? So, like, rubbing his face in it did nothing except make Teravangian be less excited about you know being part of this alliance. So, so what you're saying is they basically have a non aggressive treaty versus just a straight alliance willing to do whatever he says. Um, I'm, I'm saying that Teravangian is an extremely logical character, but he isn't without his pride and Odium damaged that pride. And okay. that might, that might end up turning around and biting him in the butt. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to discuss was a theory that was posted on the Cosmere or sorry, the Stormlight Archive subreddit. It was really good. I think I put to it. I hope. Um, but there's a chance that Yasna could become Odium's holder after, you know, Race is killed. Uh, I mean, sure. But 
I, I mean, I like the theory that she's the one who's going to end up taking the shard of passion slash odium. And I think her view will temper it to become more of... So I think the theory goes that she's going to be more of compassion. I don't think that's quite the case, but I don't think she's going to be hatred like race. Like, race was apparently a jerk in the past before he had a shard. So him being hatred, like the strong hatred, Odium, sort of goes along with the way he is, like how he used the intent that he holds. Uh, and I think if Yasna, much more logical, able to sort of temper herself, um, I think she would be a better holder of Odium. Sure. I just don't. I have my own theory that I've already said that I think is more likely. So, so Texas Blade brings up a good point. She seems so logical and emotionless, but there are many times where she drops her guard and talks about that she is not emotionless. Like, she has passion. She sort of just hides it away. And we still don't even know what happened in her past. Like, and keep in mind, she's going, from what we know, she's the last big viewpoint book. Like, she's book 10. As is what currently better way? yes. What better way than she's the one who ends up holding So I guess I guess it doesn't conflict with my theory. Yeah, I think we need more information, but like I said, I thought it was a neat theory. I hope I posted it of our channel. You did. Okay. So um, again, just just to remind folks, my theory is that the end of book five will be race gets killed and Moash takes up the shard of Odium, which allows for a few things. Uh, I, th I think he would be just as bad of a choice, though. Okay, but he doesn't have personal vendetta against um, cultivation or any of the That's other true. shards. Right. He. It would be bad for the humans on Roshar. It wouldn't necessarily be bad for the Cosmere. Which, which then al allows the the shard of Odium to still be, you know, main villain status. But it means that we can continue forward without cultivation being killed, like. Odium can be freed to roam the the Cosmere without him having to kill Cultivation first. I don't know, though. I feel like that's the weakening. Like, so this goes back to my um my talk about the increasing power level, and I feel like Moash is a step down in power level for 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 the Cosmere. Like, I I feel like the power needs to be growing and seem more dangerous, and I think Moash would be a weakening of that. So I'm not convinced. He's going to be the one that holds it. I don't know. I'm... I feel like there there are reasons to step down on the on the threat level once Maybe. in a while. Like it doesn't always have to be, you know, um, more threat, more threat, more threat. It's it doesn't have to be Dragon Ball Z all the time, right? <laughs> like like okay. there is there is progression and and like the threats need to be of a similar level, but it doesn't always have to be. If we don't stop the bad guy right now, the entire universe goes goes kablooey, right? Right. Yeah. Like there there can be smaller but still meaningful threats. Okay. I guess we'll have to just end up seeing what happens. But I, I see what you mean. You don't always want to. You want to release the pressure valve sometime. Otherwise, it's just it's hard to. Like once in a while, Goku and Piccolo just need to have an episode where they go driving. <laughs> Um, the, the thing I want to discuss, Vani, it was her discussion with the mysterious presence on the span read and, and what they're telling her to stop. My thought was that maybe like they, okay, there's been Artie Fabrians working, you know, 
capturing sprain, working on devices for, for quite a while now, from what we can tell. But it's like the moment Navani starts playing around with aluminum and doing these different things with aluminum that something spoke up and specifically called out Navani and says stop. So I'm wondering if it's something to do with aluminum that's actively hurting the sprint versus just capturing them and putting them in a, a fabrio. Like closing them in with aluminum is doing something bad. Maybe. I mean, again, we have like no information. Navani doesn't have enough information either, but I'm like, just trying to think what but changed. Like, the message the message was thing bad. Stop thing. Yes. What thing? I don't know. <laughs> right. Or I think I think you mentioned it when uh this episode when we were talking about the the Fabrials. Or is it just that the way Navani is capturing and forcing Spren to do these things? Uh that was Tori. That, be that. that was that was Tori's. Don't don't take that Sorry, away from I, her. Okay. I wasn't sure who said it, um, but yeah, like, well, what if it's just that—the fact that they're they're forcing these Spren to do things—and I guess normally the Artifabrians had a more better way. I, I won't say capture the Spren so much as I guess have the Spren bond with the Fabrians to do Fabrials to do whatever it need to do. But now Navani has all these techniques for forcing Spren to be captured and do what she wants. I guess it's we don't know the other methods like like she has a call at the beginning um, of this chapter. She has a call for Th- Thalena to talk about how their methods. So maybe it's completely different. And what Navani's doing is bad and stop. Well, I mean, again, we've we've firmly established thing bad. We have what we have not established is <laughs> what thing. Yeah. And I, I think those those are my two theories of what thing is. So I think Texas Blade mentioned it could be. The fuse on the other end of the line, or the cult of moments. I don't remember that. Uh, the cult the of moments people? were the yeah, they were the dressing up like Spren and dancing in the streets. Okay, I I still think it's the sibling that was on the other end. of The personal thing bad. Thing bad. I mean, that's what else. What else is there to say? Thing bad. All right. So the book comes out this week for us actively recording. For those of you in the future, you've already read the book. What do you guys think? Yeah. How does Let it end? Know. Let me know. Let us know in our Discord, which you can get access to through our Patreon. You do not have to subscribe, but you do want to visit and see what we're all about. Uh, Patreon.com slash CosmereCast. C-O-S-M-E-R-E-C-A-S-T. You can also find the link in the episode description. That is all I had for that. Yeah, I'm, I've been done for a while. Cool. Thing bad. Okay. Well, bye, Internet. Bye, everybody. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.